Hi, everybody. My name is Johnson. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, with the help of God, my best friend, I hadn't found it necessary to take a drink, misuse any pain pills, do any dope, or do anything. It would be detrimental to me standing here and talking to you this morning since May the 4th, 1985. And for that, I am truly grateful. I am truly grateful, I'll tell you that. I... Uh, Delighted to be here. I have a lot of old friends in here, and uh, uh, Howie and the, the Dayton uh, darlings are all here, and uh, people from Down Carbon, and the uh, Hairy Legs guys, and a uh, few gals don't know what the Hairy Legs deal is. They have a convention here shortly coming up, and I went, and I had to leave early, and, and I kept feeling like after the Lord's Prayer, they all shaved their legs. I don't know. I might have missed something, you know. But uh, I am glad to be the Sunday morning spiritual speaker, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You can thank Liz for that. That was a Mickey, right on the deal, you know. But uh, when I got the flyer uh, last year and they asked me, uh, there was something that just didn't. And I, I know you all, too, because everybody that's talked to me out there, they've said one thing. They've, they've just not said, how are you? They've not said this or that. They've all said one thing. Where in the hell is Palmyra, Indiana? You know? <laughs> and I got this great flyer, and it was great, and... But there was one thing that really did stand out, and it, it's got California, and it's got, it's got Florida, and it's got Nebraska, and it's got all these wonderful things, and the speakers were just wonderful. They were magnificent, and then you come right in the middle, it says, John S. Palmyra, Indiana. <laughs> so I want you to know, last night, instead of sleeping up here, I flew to Texas. <laughs> there's a lot of speakers out of Texas, and so now I live in Texas, and there's John Smith, Dallas, Texas, this morning. <laughs> like to thank the committee for asking me, uh, you know, uh, I got my package. I don't want to say they run out of airplane money, but I got the package and I was delighted. Had three bucks for gas. <laughs> Had uh, two Papa John's uh, uh, pizza deal and uh, one of them's expired since they gave it to me a year ago. <laughs> and I heard Tony and, and John, I must have heard it wrong. They said, uh, said it was the Russian, we got you a nice room, says the Russian suite. And I thought, that's good. And I got here and said, had a sign on the door. It said, linen closet. <laughs> so, you know, I got to figure it out. Mike and I have had a wonderful time. This is great. Oh, look at all these young guys. I got the best looking bunch that's ever been up here. You know, they really are. They really are. Yeah, good, good. We got to figure it out that uh, there's eight speakers. If you buy eight into $20... You got two dollars and a half worth left this morning. <laughs> if you figure that, and you figure a dollar for three cups of coffee, that's three bucks. If you don't like to talk, I'll owe everybody 50 cents a piece <laughs> when we get done. So I'm working on a low budget here, so you just have to bear with me, you know. But I am delighted to be here. I've got a lot of friends in Cincinnati. I was born, uh, uh, Hedger isn't here, and Tony saw me when I was uh, seven, eight months sober, and I was brought up here on tour. <laughs> and you'll know why. They brought me around to show me. They didn't, uh, and, and by a blind guy. And even the blind guy could see me, and he knew how phony I was, you know. And uh, so I was brought here at an early age in my sobriety and, and have made a lot of good friends and retained a lot of people I love in this room. And I, I'm grateful for that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. Um... Uh, I uh, was born in a small town 
But before I get to a small town, I've always done this. Before I start to talk, I have a spiritual, since this is a spiritual meeting, and we've done blowing that right out of the water. <laughs> uh, but I got this joke, and I like to tell jokes, and I like to tell jokes drunk, and I like to tell jokes sober. But I got this spiritual frog joke. It's kind of spiritual sexual, you know. But there's two old guys like me, and they're standing outside, and one of them said, you know, my sex life ain't no good. It said, it just ain't no good. And I said, oh, I got the deal for you. He said, uh, I got this big green frog. He said, best sex you ever have, going to sell him to you for 50 bucks. Door opens, guy comes in the living room with the frog, his old lady's sitting there. What are you doing that frog in the house? He explains it to her. She says, yeah, right. He said, well, don't worry. I'm going up to the bedroom. Don't bother me. Thirty minutes goes by, an hour goes by, two hours, she can't stand it up the steps, she goes, busting in the door. There's a guy nude in the bed with a frog. Cookbooks everywhere, all over the bed, all over the floor, all over the chest of drawers, the whole room's full with cookbooks. And she says, what are you doing? And he said, never mind, if I can teach this frog how to cook, you're out of here. <laughs> I'm not one of them hour and a half speakers, so we'll be out of here uh, pretty much on time. You don't have to do that. If a guy comes through that door with a green frog, I'm out of here, though, I can tell you that. <laughs> Born in a small country town down in southern Kentucky, about 2,500 people then, 2,500 people now, nothing moves around much. <laughs> Wonderful parents, great parents, only child, great parents, honest, good people, nice people, you know, raised to do right to other people, other people does right to you. You, you know the deal. You know, most of the people were like that that I hear. I uh, didn't take my first drink of alcohol until I was approximately 17 or 18 years old. The best that I can remember. Uh, I don't have much opinions. All I've got is my story and some stories that, that have happened to me in my life. And uh, so I had this hero in this town. And uh, everybody had one of those. Whether you're a gal or whether you're a guy, you had one. And what that person was was the person your mother told you, don't let me hear about you running around with so-and-so. <laughs> Because so-and-so was no good. You know, everybody had a person like that. And I couldn't wait till I was out the door and I was over to so-and-so's house. <laughs> now, my so-and-so happened to have the name of Monkey Miller. <laughs> now, right away, you know there's something wrong with a guy named Monkey Miller. <laughs> he ain't right, you know. <laughs> Monkey wasn't right. He was known for, t he's a little older than me. He had hair down to his heels like Loretta Lynn's sister. <laughs> he was known for two things in that town, small town. Everybody knew everybody and what was going on and everything, and Monkey was a town drunk at 19 years old. He was absolutely the worst drunk in town. And I'm going to put this as delicately, my sponsor, we've gone over this as I can. Monkey was sexually promiscuous with watermelon. <laughs> Not in the Kroger store, out in the patch. Come summertime, every farmer was up in arms with a shotgun sitting out there by the water. Monkey was a town pervert, too. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> town drunk, town pervert, what a combo. I was fascinated by Monkey Miller. Went around to Monkey, and I said, I want to get drunk. Now, I didn't say I wanted to try drinking. I said, I want to get drunk. Isn't that amazing? You know, I remember that. So he told me how to do it. Monkey was one of them guys, and I like them kind of guys now. It's got them slick, quick answers. I don't care if they're right or wrong. Just give me that slick, quick answer, man, and make me think you know what the deal is. You know, I love it. 
So Mikey had to answer it. He said, don't go to bootlegger. They had a old crow. You won't like old crow. He told me how to do it. I had a little flat top. Hadn't come much farther, you know, and put about a gallon and a half of that pink butch wax on. You don't go far through life. You come in the diaper, you go out in the diaper. You come in eating banana pudding, you go out in the nursing home eating banana pudding. So, you you know, you don't have to get too crazy in between. Went around a monkey and uh, he told me. So I made a big deal out of that first drunk. I had a little convertible, put the top down. I rolled up 65 miles toward Camelsville, Kentucky, to a place called Big John's Liquor Store. <laughs> There's always somebody going, oh, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> I thought it was like Broadway. It was no concrete block beer joint and it sold booze. I'll never forget that first night. I knew absolutely nothing about drinking except the Red Skelton Show, and that wasn't much, you know. I looked over the shelf. I've drank everything under the sun. Not because I ran out of money. I like to do different stuff. You know, sterno, two loaves of bread, not one. Uh, spray shine polish is good. Uh, if you had not had enough, you, you young folks, go back out there, go to the shoe store, get you a little bottle of that clear spray shine polish, get you a little glass of whiskey, put a little in, sit in the corner. Do not stand. <laughs> You take one hit off of that spray shoe shine polish, you look like the exorcist. Your head will go around on your body 40 times before you hit the ground. High karate shaving lotion, put it alone, drink a little, you know how that goes. <laughs> the worst stuff I ever drank in my life was the first drop. I looked over the shelf, it was beautiful, I could see it, it just was a pint of orange flavored slow gin. I know you're with me, I know you're with me. Everybody, yeah. I've never drank slow gin since. Hopefully never will. I uh, got that gin. I got some orange juice. Halfway back to Bursal, I drank half the gin. It had kicked in. I threw the orange juice out the window. I said, this is the greatest stuff I ever found in my life. Came to the next morning in my little bedroom, made another fatal mistake. Went down and drank two big tall ice tea glasses full of water. <laughs> stayed drunk, stayed sick for two days. Where'd I go? Back to monkey. Always back to monkey. And where do you go? Back to AA. Always back to AA, see. <clears throat> I told Monkey what was wrong. He said, oh, there's no problem. I'll explain it to you. I said, okay. He said, it wasn't the gin. It was the water. Don't drink no more water. And I still don't drink much water today, I'll tell you. <laughs> and they sell it in a bottle for a dollar. That's crazy, you know. So from then on, it was 24 years of mistakes. 24 years of drunkenness. I didn't, I jumped into being a drunk. I drank it, I loved it, I loved everything about it. I left that little town and I went to the University of Lowell for four years and the only thing that I did there, I worked at an exclusive men's store, Martin's men's store. They handled Oxford suits and the Nettleton shoes and all that and the Countess Mary ties. And I worked there four years and I might have bought a pair of socks, maybe. But I stole the most beautiful wardrobe you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> God, I look good. I'm telling you. I also got to tell you that when I was drinking back then, I didn't look like I look now. I wish you could have seen me. I'm not going to take a drink. I know it instantly changed into that. <laughs> but I was six foot five. I had blonde hair, broad shoulders, a little tight booty, and had a dimple in each cheek back then. <laughs> I didn't get my diamond teeth till later on. So I, I'll tell you about that too. If you're a good-looking young guy here this morning and you keep drinking, this is what you'll look like. 
If you're a good-looking woman, you keep drinking. This is what you'll look like. <laughs> that ought to be something for you to think about. You know. That's spiritual. I want you to know that's spiritual, boy. <clears throat> By the time I'd got to this program, I had made and stolen drink up a cool million dollars on the low-end side. And my favorite part of the Sunday paper is one page. I only read one page on the back of it in Louisville, Kentucky. And it says, Dan's World Famous International Pawn Shop. There isn't a person in here, if you are, come up and see me after me and tell me. One day I was 24 years old and I pawned those $500 nettles and alligator shoes for $18 and change to get a drink and a bus ticket back to that little country town. I didn't know a thing about being a drunk. I just knew I drank it and I loved it. And it was my whole life from the first time I took a drink until the last time it quit working for me. I got out of that uh, deal and I went back to that little country town and I had a little flunky job making $5,800 a year. It would not support the way that I wanted to drink. So I drank a lot and I even borrowed $18,000 from my dad's friends, a very honest man on the side. And I left that town in disgrace. <clears throat> I was 23 years old. 24, something like that. I had an old 58 Thunderbird with the parking cock gone, no exhaust system, no windows, you know. Had an AA car then, didn't even know it, you know. <laughs> old 18 grand, drug into Louisville. And I had to pay those people back. Not because I was honest, I wouldn't pay you a dime. And, but my dad would have killed me. I went to work repossessing cars from 6th Street to 45th Street, Portland Bank, one of some of the finer, van across the Rhine, you know, that, uh, you know, the deal. Yeah. And uh, they uh, fired me from that job. That's the only job I've ever been fired at. Yeah. Guy at 15th and Chesson had a funeral home. He had no funeral limo. It wasn't worth 20 cents. He's 300 payments behind. They wanted it. It's a matter of honor. He kept it locked up. I couldn't get it. Got the idea. Read the obituary column every day. Had a funeral, got me some vodka, got halfway up the block in a phone booth. <clears throat> they had the stiff and the hearse. They had the limo out there with the door running. I mean, the car running, the door open. They were leading a dead man's family down there. Didn't know a thing about AA and did the next right thing. <laughs> Staggered out of that phone booth, got in her, drove her right out of that dead man's funeral parade. <laughs> there was a big meeting downtown that day. I want you to know that. Hell of a crowd. That's all they was to it. Yeah. They said, you're a little too aggressive for us. We're going to have to let you go. <laughs> so I know, I know exactly what I did. I went over and I got a drink. And the place that I got a drink and got drunk was right beside a Ford dealership, Louisville Motors Ford. And it had a sign in the window, salesman wanted. No experience necessary. <laughs> Let us train you. All you need is a pen. <laughs> so I borrowed a pen from the bartender. <laughs> or stole one. I don't know. Walked over and got a job. I've done that for 35 years. There are some car salesmen here in the old deal. And that's a long time for a car salesman to live. And these guys know that, and you all will, too. It's a long time, you know. So 
When I started that job, there were 14 young men, all them guys with the quick, bright answers. And they were all vibrant, and they all had guns, and they all had knives, and they all drank like I did. Today, 11 are dead. Three of us are living, two of them is bulimic. When I was a drug addict, by the grace of God, and Sunday mornings like this, and you guys that love me, I'm sober today. Yeah. And I am truly grateful for that deal. Because I know what them two guys are going to feel like this morning, and you do too. It's going to be bad. And here I am, cleaned up, suited up, and able to celebrate another day of sober with God and you. What, what's that word? You know, what, what, no price tag. I left from there and I went out to a place, a big Ford dealership in Louisville, and I worked there nine years. I worked three years as a salesman, three years as a training manager, three years as a used car manager, and I want you to know that you're no match for a professional car salesman. <laughs> don't even try, that's all. And the good ones don't have to lie, cheat, and steal to get it done. You'll do it to yourself. I, amazing, you know. <laughs> and uh, I had two wonderful demos. They were great cars. They really were. They furnished me a nice LTD. The top salesman always drove nice LTDs. And uh, then I happened, some guy happened to trade in this little miracle car. It was a purple 66 Cadillac convertible. The top was shot. It was gone. You'd pour oil in it. We didn't have a dipstick. You didn't need one. It'd clank, and you'd pour the oil in it. We took the back seat out, drove, drove about 100 through holes through it, and fill it up. $100 to get you out of drunk driving, you know, fill it up with 20 bags of ice, put all the stuff on it. Uh, down the side of it said, Honest John, King of the Car Salesman. If you want to be king, come see me at Louisville, cost you $38.50. That's what the sand painter puts it on there for. You don't have to it'll cut through a lot of stuff, you know what I mean. $38.50. I had two purple hats with plumes on it, one for me and the co-pilot. <laughs> the greatest thing about that car was we had this, had this chrome woman with wings. And her boobs lit up. They were orange. <laughs> that was great. You just have to kind of picture me like a TV screen, you know, the, the picture of the deal. Imagine a guy like that with two plume hats about sundown coming through Broadway in Lowell with them boobs lit up and the flashers going. People noticed you. <laughs> I was perfectly sane at that time. On the front of my nice LDD, it said, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> You've seen those signs. I worked for all the religious people. Yeah. <laughs> we had specialty deals, you know, that's all. God wouldn't get in that car. <laughs> that was the nastiest car you've ever seen. You know how it is. You know how it is. I could never roll the window. You women do this, too. I could never roll the window down when I spit. No. Come out tomorrow, looks like you sandblasted that one. <laughs> Cold weather, there's stalagmites hanging off the mirror, hanging off the dash, all this stuff. You know, it was not good, I want you to know. But I was still sane at this time. I really was. I really was. And a great thing happened to me in 1975 at that dealership. A wonderful thing happened. I had no idea, like so many of us that I hear, I came into contact with a program of Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. It took me 10 years later to get here. 
But a lovely lady named Avalon, who died some 37 years sober, gave, I sold her a little car. She wasn't interested in 14 Continental kits or some chrome woman. She bought a little old Maverick to drive to the penitentiaries and help people, take people into their home, love them, care for them. She was interested in helping people. I was interested in helping Honest John. And they told me success. My old sponsor told me what success was, is giving it all away. My God, that was nuts. You don't give your stuff away. You don't help nobody unless they help you once or twice. And I get here, and I've been back long enough and had help from you, that that's amazing. And to give one little thing and get five and ten back. It's amazing. It's not normal for me. It's not natural for me. There's something inside me that is doing it. And it's still doing it. And there's something inside you. And I will tell you later on how that got in there. She gave me a little 24-hour book I didn't know nothing about. Didn't know nothing about AA. Didn't give a damn about AA. But I want to sell you a car. <coughs> And when you come in there with one of them goofy bumper stickers on your car, Bob Hope rides again, friend of Bill Roy's and all that stuff, keep it stupid simple and all that stuff, I knew you were in something called AA. <clears throat> and I said, well, there's got to be a deal for them too, you know. So I got that book out, and I cut a big silver star out and put it on there. I know it belonged to AA. That woman belonged to AA. She told me it did. And when you come in, I smelling good. I had to have a story, and I did, and it never failed to sell one of you guys. I'd slide that book out on the desk, and you'd look at it, and you'd look at me, and you'd look at the book, and you'd smell of me. And here's where it did. I would tell you that I'd been in Alcoholics Anonymous for five and a half, never any longer than six months. I was sure that you all had what they call you know, what well, a secret, you know. And I call it, last cuss word, can't translate it, the secret shit of AA. Say it real fast. And what that secret was is like AA or Bula Bula or uh, uh, Hello or something like that. You know what I mean. And only you knew it. But you had to be in a year from to tell you the secret. Amazing. I got here, they said do 365 days. Yeah. So I didn't even want you to know how funny it was. And I'd tell you I've been in five and a half months and you hadn't told me the secret, so it was okay, see. And uh, I hadn't had a drink. And they said, well, why are you drinking now? <clears throat> I had a picture of a woman and three kids on my desk. I found it in the trunk of a car. <laughs> it looked good. Family man. The little one always needed braces or an operation or something deal like that, you know? I'd been sober. I'd come home. Uh, old lady took them three kids. She she took all my furniture, took my riding lawnmower. Never owned none of that stuff. Loaded up with an over-the-road tractor-trailer driver, and he's gone, and I got drunk. And they'd say, you poor thing, come back to AA. And I'd say, I will. Sign here. <laughs> and after you'd taken your new AA car, I got in my old Cadillac and went down to the Tropic Liquor Store where I had a charge account, and that's where I went to AA. And I had the distinct pleasure of running my LTD inside that man's liquor store twice in the same day. <laughs> Just couldn't make the drive-in window <clears throat> right through there. 
he just got her all boarded up. I was out there, run out of money, had a charge account. He hadn't cut me off, went back, charged some more shit, and run right through there again. <laughs> Carl's dead now. <laughs> you know, uh, I never knew what happened to that little book. On the day I'd been sober exactly 365 days, The Secret Stuff of AA. That book, ten years late, that book was given to me, handed to me, and I opened it, and it said this. April the 7th, 1975. Dear John, hope this helps you as much as it has me. Love, Avalon. And when they buried that woman, they had her laid out with a little 24-hour book in her hand. She'd given away thousands of them. And I thought how easy it would be that she could be down on Skid Row with a half-pint bottle about the same size in her hand, dead. Give it away to keep it, you know. I believe in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe in the 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. But my deal is I believe in the Promises of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's my deal. And most of all, I believe in giving it away to keep it. I have not had 16, hopefully soon 17, hopefully with Mike here 7. I haven't had that much luck. You haven't had that much luck. That's an opinion, but we all know that together, see, you know. I quit that job because I was paying the government 63 cents on the dollar after five and a half months. That'll tell you the kind of money I was making, and I didn't want to work. When you get too omnipotent to work for somebody else, you're going to business for yourself. <laughs> Always. I drank up all the money but $5,000, and I went over into southern Indiana, New Albany, and I started Honest John's Carlite <laughs> with $5,000. Now, I didn't buy $5,000 cars. I bought five $100 cars. <laughs> they were so bad, some kids from Louisville stole one, didn't even make it back across the bridge. <laughs> Nobody stole my stuff from then on. Nobody. To leave his stuff alone, man, it's trash, you know. But I was selling Honest John King of the Car Salesman. Anybody can sell cars. I was selling me. And I spent the rest of the money on big signs and cowboy clothes. And I had this billboard of me with a great big billboard at the little old car lot, and it had me and my cowboy suit with two guns and all this, and it had all the bars you could reach me at. 5.30 to 6.00, Ray, 6.00 to 6.30, the Holiday Inn. If a bartender ticked me off, I just had the sign painter come up. It looked like an ex-snowboard by the time I got sober. <laughs> I had the greatest cowboy clothes you've ever seen. And that ain't no brag, that's a fact. They're beautiful. They're absolutely stunning. They don't make anything like that anymore. And uh, I had one cowboy hat that cost $1,500. Went to Nashville, bought off Loretta Lynn's dead husband, who was living at the time. He was drunker than I was. <laughs> he only made 500. It's gorgeous. I've got the glass case. It's got this and that, but it wasn't enough. You know how that wasn't enough stuff is? I put silver initials on it, H.J. It wasn't enough. I had them gold-plated, H.J. It wasn't enough. I had a pheasant and a half band made for this hat that hung all the way down my back. That was enough. <laughs> I'd made one small mistake. You know how in all we're drinking, there's a little glitch in everything. We got it all planned out in that little glitch. 
You either had to wear that hat. As a bar drinker, you wouldn't want to sit around home with stuff like that. You know, you had to be out there and down there. I could wear that hat only two hours, and it'd start jamming my neck. So you either had to take her off between bars or get you a neck brace. Now, you can't be in a bar with that big hat on, looking cool, and a neck brace on. And somebody says, oh, we're in a car wreck, so now my hat's too heavy. Remember, I was six foot five. I looked good. Yeah. And people began to talk about me. Yeah. Said, he's crazy. Leave him alone. And I was still reasonably sober at that time. Yeah. Began to say things like, man, that guy's nuts. Now, in order to advance into car selling alcoholism or whatever you want to call our insanity, you have to have, and for people to say those things, you have to have certain things. And I begin to acquire these things, like the cowboy hat. I had a cape. <laughs> made out of Crown Royal bags. <laughs> had, the big, had the big bag in the center, had it all lined, silk lined, had it tailored, had three gun pockets inside of it, and it looked good. I had diamond teeth. That's, uh, for a white dude, that's, uh, back then, it's a little strange, you know. Couldn't get insurance on him the way I wanted. If he's knocked out in a bar or something like that, you know, they wouldn't insure the deal, so I didn't get no insurance. And I'm eating these grapes one time, and I missed the tooth. And I'm looking around, I'm looking around, I thought, I've swallowed it. And I had. I'd swallowed that tooth. And I thought, well, what do I do now? Yeah. I'm having to report to you this morning, by the grace of God, and three sheets of screen wire, things came out all right in three days. <laughs> yeah. Don't give up three days before the miracle. I don't know about the five minutes. Give it three days. You'll be all right. Yeah. Put it right back in. Ran down to Cheryl Ray's mobile bar. And I said, look, Cheryl, it's back. He said, you didn't even wash that off. You didn't. That's spiritual. We got to get this spiritual thing going along, you know. But the greatest thing I had... I could be sober 500 years. I could be the most benevolent person in, in the world. I could give away millions. Some sucker will walk up invariably and say, you still got that hearse with the big turkey on top? <laughs> if you're ever over in Indianapolis, Indiana, up on Senate Street or Washington Street, one or the other, there's a car lot up there called Ducky Loves. Monkey Miller, Ducky Love, you know, I'm right in on those deals. 
Ducky's got a fleet of those things, and one morning over breakfast and a fifth of whiskey, I proceeded proceed to talk Ducky into selling me this hearse with a giant turkey on top, the size of a Mustang. Its eyes would light up and blink on and off. It was great. It was fantastic. We come down to Columbus and everything, and, and people were running out of the truck stop and looking at it and all this. And I had a guy work for me named Lion Jr. He'd been sober 10 years. That's amazing. Honest John and Lion Jr. <laughs> We're even, we got to part the crowd. We ate breakfast. Pardon me, let me get in my hearse here, you know. And, and uh, I said, Junior, we got something here. This will work, boy. Get her back. Call that sign painter. Honest John, king of the car sales. But it wasn't enough. I had a big bullseye cut out, huge bullseye with circles, and on the back it said, Caution. Stay back. This turkey drinks gin and prune juice. <laughs> now, can you imagine? Picture again. A guy coming through Cincinnati with a crown royal cape, a big cowboy hat, a hearse with a turkey on top, siren going, the seal on the back, fall out in front of a bar, guns going everywhere, crawl in, say, give me a drink. <laughs> Every person in that bar come out and look at that turkey. And the Courier Journal came. They're crazier than we are. Big write-ups in the Courier Journal. Would you buy a used car from this guy? Are you kidding? Yeah. The Indianapolis Star came down. You know, big write-ups. Never seen anything like the deal. But what happened was, I drank a lot more. A ton more. And then it happened. Then it happened. You remember when it happened? And when it happened, it quit happening. You know, and I was sitting in that Holiday Inn that afternoon, I ordered that Crown Royal and soda, and it didn't happen. And I ordered two more, and it didn't happen. And I was sure they'd had a bad batch of whiskey. And I switched, and I drank till 4 o'clock in that morning as hard as a human being could drink, and nothing happened. I was sick, I was drunk, but as B.B. King says, the thrill is gone. <laughs> and then I was scared, but the terror hadn't set in yet. And I knew... That alcohol would never do it for me again. I didn't become a drug addict, and uh, if that's your deal, that's fine, because a marijuana cigarette had saved my life. It had saved me from being a drug addict. You potheads in here, oh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> know that you're not supposed to drink a whole lot of whiskey and then smoke a joint. You do it as you go along. I drank about a half gallon of whiskey that day. I was heading out the road about 25 miles. Somebody rolled me a hooter about the size of a King Edward cigar. I said, here, try this. I said, believe well. <clears throat> time I got there, two magical things had happened. The hood of that old Lincoln was as long as from here to the other side of this hotel. And I had to be doing three miles an hour. <laughs> I looked like one of them guys in the space capsule. I wasn't even hitting nothing in that car. I was hanging on the stairs. I said, this is the roughest stuff I have ever tried. Uh-uh, no more. So, so with my drug career, there's the end, you know. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Tried for two years to quit drinking. I hated every drink I took, and I drank too long, and I couldn't quit. I tried every way to quit drinking. I even said the rosary for a week to quit drinking. I'm a Methodist. And nothing happened. You know, we all know the physical 
and the terrible part, uh, the headaches and the pukes and the hangovers and the blue cheese puke hung in your nose walking around, you know. The physical part. I hope I never forget that loneliness and that fear and that terror that was in my heart. Well, there was no heart. It was just somewhere in there. All alone. I mean all alone. You know? And you know that nothing, nobody, nothing can do it. None. And you're going to die that way. I was in my bed one morning about 4 o'clock and I was in the pit at the bottom of loneliness and despair. And I tried saying the Lord's Prayer and I forgot it. And the only thing I had to keep me as a member of the human race was that little prayer my mother used to say with me every night, now lay me down to sleep. And that ain't that long and I forgot that. And at that instant I knew that I had gone beyond shame, that I had gone where people don't go, and that I was not a human being, and that I was going to die. This is my story. This is the way it happened for me. I am glad there is no scripted way for people to get sober. There are suggestions, but no scripted way, because I would have bolt and run. I had my spiritual experience on the morning before I got to my first AA meeting. I was in an old hotel in uh, New Albany, Indiana. It was 4 o'clock in the morning approximately. I had defecated in the bed on myself. I had urinated all over myself. There was money, food, filth everywhere, and I was dying. And I got to the end of that bed, and I put on those cowboy boots somehow, and I got honest with the God of my understanding, which is God, and I said, help me. Please help me. I can't go any further. And there was nothing left inside of me. And you know, that's the way he gets in. What I said a while ago, how do you get there? There was nothing there. And he did. No big lightning bolt. I've not gone on a space shuttle, rode 4,000 miles like I hear and seen God and blazing and all but a small voice. It went through my brain. And it said, you don't have to anymore. Being honest, John, was the toughest thing I ever done, the second. But I had become my own God. Please, please, if you're new here, and I'm new here, we're all new here, please don't become your own God. It's hell. So he kicked in, and I knew one guy that drank like I did, and he went to AA. And I used to call him on Sunday morning at 1 o'clock in the bar. And I'd rattle him ice cubes, and I'd say, how you like that, sucker? You can't drink. <laughs> and that dummy would say stuff like, I love you. I look at that watch again. I said, "My call, call me any time. You're helping me so much, and I'd hang up on him." <laughs> he didn't hang up that morning. He said, "You, you go to a meeting." I said, "Yeah, we we'll go to a meeting." He said, uh, "Great." He said, uh, "Meet you up at Mark Memorial Church, about 250 people." I said, "Okay." I didn't know what you did in AA. I give you the best I had. I was dressed to drink, but I wanted to quit drinking. There was a blind guy there, Jim Walk. Friends were, you know. I walked in, the old guy had brought him. Of course, Jim always swore he drove. <laughs> but, but give me that wheel, I know I can do it, you know. And uh, the guy said, man, Jim, you're not going to believe the guy just come in here. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I have never seen a guy like this in an AA meeting. 
He said, what are you talking about? He said, I'll tell you what, after the meeting, you go up, shake both hands, not just one, hug on this guy, rub on him, bump on him, and tell me what you think. Jim did as he was asked. I didn't know what you did. I gave you the best shot I had. I rolled up in a $45,000 custom Seville Cadillac made in Pompano Beach by Elvis's limo builder. Bright yellow. Had, it wasn't enough. I put another Continental kit on the back. Had a Continental kit. Had a stretch front end. Parked it in two cripple zones where you'd see my car. I rolled in. I had a red Grand Ole Opry Porter Wagner suit on. Had car speckled stuff. Had, had music notes and all this stuff. I had on 13 big diamond rings, three or four twenty dollar gold pieces, a gold, silver, and platinum squash blossom necklace. If I had fallen in the river on the way to AA, I'd have drowned. <laughs> Sunk, went right to the bottom. I was as red as that suit and sat down in the halls of Alcoholics Anonymous. Man, all's welcome. If there was anybody they'd been going to keep out of AA, I would cut me out, I'll tell you that. I have never seen anybody dressed like that. If I do, I'm going to go around and say, let me tell you what happened to me, or you want to buy some clothes? You know. Yeah. The blind guy did as he was asked. He hugged on me, he shook both hands, he rubbed on me, he went back to the guy, and the guy said, what do you think about him? He said, my God, you don't think that man's got an ego problem, do you? <laughs> They had this big belt buckle, $5,000, this big. Not this big, this big. And I used to go to parties and dinners, and I was drinking, and when I got ready to leave, you know, I'd do one, and I'd take the belt off and put radishes and dip on it <laughs> and slide her in on the table. Well, the hostess would come around, and she'd I don't have a plate like this, and there's the belt buckle. Give me a rice of stuff, and I'd leave. Sometimes I'd wipe it off. Sometimes I'd just put it on, you know. That buckle was heavy. If you're drinking, you can hurt yourself with a buckle like that, okay? You go to the bathroom, you're in deep trouble. That's all there is to it. Drop the buckle, you know. Yeah, it was a mess. Two wonderful things happened that evening. I saw sober drunks. I didn't know they made you. As worldly as I was, I didn't know about treatment. Another wonderful thing was... I didn't take my guns into AA. I left a 45 automatic and shoulder harness, 238, and a shotgun in the trunk of that Cadillac. And I said, this is probably like church. I never took a gun to church. I'm happy to tell you I've never had to take a gun into an AA meeting. That may not mean much to you, but it did to me. Well, the big thing was when they said, let's stand and close the meeting in the usual way. Right away, that man went back to 1975. I said, aha, the secret shit of it. <laughs> they don't know it's my first meeting. These old boys and girls, I'm going to chump on them. And then they held my shaking left hand and shaking right hand. And they said the Lord's Prayer. And then my mind went back to that night when I was all alone. And it ceased to become a human being. I didn't know if I'd ever drink again. I really wasn't interested in that, although I was. But I had finally found somebody to help me say the Lord's Prayer and hold my hand. Wow. 
You know, I got a big book, got a white chip. Went 30 days, got drunk. When another 30 days, got drunk. One day, hey, my last drunk only lasted about five and a half hours. Left for Keeneland Racetrack, drank three beers with these guys, got down there, ordered mixed drinks as fast as they could bring them. I was drinking them. We hit a horse. We stopped in Keeneland, or stopped in Versailles. I got a pint of Crown Royal, drank that, went to the old horseshoe bar and drank 20 double vodka and tonics and iron 15 minutes. And I was done. I was fried. I was well done. I fell off of every bar stool in there. Got in my car, drove to the Holiday Inn, fell off everywhere, wound up Cheryl Ray's. You know, you always got that cool bar, you know, international. Fell off every bar stool and fell out by that big yellow Cadillac down in New Albany in the gutter. It was still daylight, people passing by saying he's crazy, leave him alone. One lady picked me up, took me and got a room. I prayed for her for 13 years. She had a stroke. She wouldn't quit drinking. 13 years. I took her three years ago to my 13th birthday, sober a year. She's still sober. Forget the three days on the diamond teeth. Let's move it on. Don't give up for 13 years before the miracle. You see? Yeah. She used to cut my hair and was drunk, but she's a beautician. But she dyed my hair. I had my hair frosted, and she dyed my it's going to frost my beard, it turned green, and I quit going to her after that. <laughs> I said, I can't go out like this. She said, what do you do? She said, shave or go to dark bars. <laughs> she cuts my hair again now. Still a little shaky, but she's all right. <laughs> now, I hear so many people come around AA, and they say, I ain't got no nice clothes. I ain't got no nice car. I'm broke. I've gone busted. You know, I ain't got no nice apartment. Get a job. You'll have all that stuff. It ain't got nothing to do with AA. Get a damn job, you know. <laughs> now, the bank took my car. The bank took my hearse with the turkey on top. Y'all seen that banker. He's scrooched down, boy, driving that thing down. <laughs> I figured it was a lot easier to be a movie star in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> than it was in California. A lot of shortcuts, you know. But he took all my things. But I'm going to that thing called AA. And God give me the greatest automobile I have ever had in my life. An old $50 Toyota that had been rained, jammed. It was wrecked. It was rolled. It rained in the doors. You had to take a broomstick and jump it. But it wasn't enough. I cut out a set of plastic deer horns and put them on the front of that car. <laughs> Get the picture? Mr. Kenny Rogers himself in that big yellow Cadillac with the Porter Wagner suit over here, and boom! A $50 Toyota wrecked with a set of plastic deer horns on the front. I knew how to lie, steal, cheat, and rob banks. I had no idea how to work for a living. I worked for a living very hard. Everything has been restored to me, including one of those cats. I mean cars. And my old cat, Buddy Ray, likes to sleep on it. Stays covered up. It's not important. You know, I couldn't comprehend when I came into AA. You remember? A lot of you are there now. I couldn't think. I'd be at a stoplight. I didn't know. And they wouldn't let me sit on the chairs in that token club because they were metal, and I would bang all that stuff and disrupt the meeting. 
all in buckles and stuff. And they said, here, you sit over here on the couch. I said, they know who I am. <laughs> but when they'd read one thing, one thing, and I call this, this is my secret stuff of AA. This is it. This is the deal for me. When they read those promises, and I'd slide out, and I'd grab that couch, and I'd listen, and I'd wait for it, because if I didn't, it'd be gone. And they'd say, it'll always come true if you work for it. And I, I believed. Because I saw you, and you had them kind eyes, and you held my hand when you said the Lord's Prayer, and you said, come and follow me. I had you. I can read all the stuff I want to. I can memorize all the stuff I want to. I can look at all the movies I want to. And I would still be drinking without you holding my hand. I am nothing. You know. I just live between my ears. And I can choose to make my day as good or bad as I want to. I've come back long enough in AA that there's no fear in my life. There's no fear. What? Except a drink. What am I got to be afraid of? Well, I want to tell you something. Every day I try to keep the spiritual part the center of my life. Every day. And that's the way I live. And I'm not a perfect man. Sometimes I go days and don't lie. And sometimes I lie a lot during the day. A little bit anyway, you know. You know. And I want you to know that I've come back to AA long enough that I can love you today for the worst thing you ever did in your life. And I had rather you hate me for the way I am today than love me for what you think I ought to be. Easy does it. Keep it simple. They broke it down for me. They took the book right out of my hand six months. Took it away from me. I just carried it. You know, it looked good. Said, turn them things on the wall around. We're four old guys got around me and said, We're going to break AA down to you in four words and two sentences. And I thought, There's no way in the world they can do this. And they did. I said, Well, what is it? They said, Don't drink, don't think. I'm keep waiting for the rest. They ain't told me no more. Don't drink, don't think, go to AA and help somebody and don't tell nobody. And heavy on to help somebody and don't tell nobody. Life ain't no dress rehearsal. I wouldn't have been here this morning and been upstairs changing costumes. <laughs> Living it. Living it from the time you get up, smile on your face, wind in your, you know, face, feeling good, smelling the grass. You know, sitting on the porch last summer and a butterfly, a wild butterfly lit on me. And I reached down and pegged it for 30 seconds. How many people, and there I used to be an old puke guy with three guns, you know, dangerous man. How many people's had God light on them and they've got to pet him? And he'd come back the next day and I did the same thing. Reasonably kind and gentle man. I knew nothing of this till you taught me this. Nothing. I beseech you, I pray, I urge you. I beg you to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous if you just started coming around. You know. Well, 
There's a little kicker to my story, and we're getting to the end of it. We're really past the end of it, but there's a little kicker. And uh, I'd always written everything, and I'd written on my cars, and I'd written all over everything, restroom walls. <laughs> King of the car salesman. If a car salesman sells eight cars now a month, they keep him. If you sell 20, you're a superstar. In 1999, I happened to be at the right place at the right time with the right guy, with God, with Alcoholics Anonymous. And in 12 months, I sold 1,226 automobiles, 100 a month for 12 months straight. I wasn't the king of the car salesman. If I wasn't, I was sure the queen, that's for sure. <laughs> it's never been done. And until I, and I had a heart attack after that, but I lived, you know. <laughs> but the two things I wanted most was to get sober, and that happened. That's the main thing. But I always wanted to be the number one guy. Not only was I in Louisville, I was the number one guy in the United States. Wow. Don't give up 30 years before the miracle. <laughs> My dreams have come true. My wants and my needs are the same. And I can truthfully say that. Yeah. The things I appreciate now, and I had all those wonderful things, and I still got some nice things. A roll of toilet paper. Well, a lot of people around the world ain't got a roll of toilet paper. No wonder they're pissed off, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Clean drink of water. Breathing. Able to say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. I always close my talk, and I'm really getting to the end of it with a spiritual message. I have it written on a card, written on a little button on my head, or written somewhere. And this is spiritual, and I'll, I'll explain it to you. It goes like this. I want you to pay close attention. Success is not how you pick your nose. It's where you put the booger. <laughs> you broke my heart. That's spiritual. And I'll tell you why it's spiritual. One hot summer day, I'm coming down through the west end, east end of Louisville, high yuppie town. And uh, I got that old Toyota, it's hot, I ain't got no air, I'm six months over, I'm burning up. And I pull up to the stoplight and this good looking chick comes up with the rouge on you, know, like this and the blonde bobbed hair and looking good and a green, I can see it now, a green blouse, uh, uh, suit and a, a silk blouse. Driving one of them little two-door Mercedes Benz with the air rolling. She don't know I'm dead, you know. Now, I know that everybody in here, and I don't care how sober you are, I don't care whether you male picks their nose a little bit. <laughs> you do. Boogers are dangerous. <laughs> do you realize on this morning in the world how many boogers are getting moved around? <laughs> that could be a danger that we never, global warming, think about boogers. <laughs> and they're smart. You try to get one, to run right back up your nose. They'll hide on it. And people wipe them in cars under the left hand. I'll get that later here. I don't know. You don't do it. I've cleaned up enough cars I know. This old gal stopped there for the light. Miss Prima Donna, you know, it just, just a little flick, and it went bad. It was, oh, man, it was a closed line. She's going nuts. You can't wipe a booger on a Mercedes Benz. My car is a booger. My life is a booger at that time. It's total booger. And I looked over there and I got to laughing. I thought, you know, that woman had everything I ever had. Money, property, and prestige, and she ain't got no place to wipe the booger. 
naturally I went beep and like that and drove off, you know. <laughs> Today I found a place to put the burger and I'm happy as hell, I want you to know. Yeah, happy man. Thanks to you. And I will close now with one little ditty. Poor feeble effort. I only wrote one poem in my life. And I'll never write another one. <laughs> but I was a little over a year sober. And you know how it is when you can't sleep. And them old guys have made that coffee about like 90 weight gear oil. <laughs> Here, drink more. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So I couldn't sleep, and I got up. It was about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm glad I did this, and I found an old envelope, and it's dated. You know, I had plastics about wore out, and it said May the 7th, 1986. You know, and I've been sober a year and two days. And this is a true story. Everything in this poem is a true story, connected with me and the people in it. It was up there where I had that little old car lot. And I'll read it to you. I used to see him shuffle along a week's growth of beard and hair way too long, dragging his feet and gasping for air, he and his buddy an inseparable pair. Sometimes I'd buy him food, though he never did ask. I'd say to myself, that little old man's about seen his last. He'd feebly smile and say, could you spare a dime? So much more I could have done if I'd only taken the time. And this is about a little old wino with the same name that lived on that corner. He would sleep in heated restrooms, I was later to learn. But when I was drinking, it was never my concern. I was always too busy performing some monetary feat to pay attention to an old wino with ragged shoes on his feet. Last Monday, I saw his buddy at the service station on the corner. He told me little John had died. And I guess I'm the only mourner. Died under that old apple tree right over there all alone with no one to care. That night I couldn't sleep and searched for paper and pen and tears came like rain as this poem I began. For suddenly it hit me that the wine on a, under the tree had drank himself to death that I could be free. As I went back to bed it was clear in my mind that surely I could do some little something to help the suffering left behind. That money... Power, worldly things are not the key. If I take another drink, the dead wino will be me. I've had a great time. Today you've made my soul a better place. And I hope I've had a little something in making yours the same way.